Hi, I'm Andrew Tobias. And I'm Stephen Goldmeyer. The internet's a weird place. We're going to show you. Hold on to your butt. This is Hold On To Your Butts. I'm Stephen Goldmeyer, as usual. And uh, this is Andrew Tobias, as usual. Welcome to episode three. This week is mostly about television. First, we're going to talk about something weird that happened on Kitchen Nightmares and also on the internet afterward. And then we're going to talk about the imminent return of Arrested Development and the internet's role in all of that. Finally followed by our listener feedback and then our internet things of the week. So let's get started. All right, so our first segment, we're going to talk about uh, something that happened this week on a little show called uh, Kitchen Nightmares. You might have heard of it. It's kind of obscure. (laughs) You've probably never heard. It's the hipster uh, reality show. Uh, Yeah, I actually don't really, I don't really know how popular it is. I don't know if it's like a runaway. It seems like the kind of thing that would be popular. You said that there's like lots of seasons on Netflix, right? There are, yeah, Yeah, a lot of seasons. Yeah, so it's totally popular. And people know who Gordon Ramsay is. So, uh, And I think this episode actually got even more attention than most of their episodes. So first, uh, I guess we could go through a chronological rundown of what happened. Give us the Cliff Notes version. So the Cliff Notes, in the beginning, (laughs) God created heaven and earth and also Gordon Ramsay. Go on. And uh, many years later, Gordon Ramsay started a show called Kitchen Nightmares, and it's my favorite reality show. Who's Gordon Ramsay? Gordon Ramsay's a British chef who I guess is great at being a British chef. He has a bunch of accolades and stars and whatnot, Uh, and uh, he parlayed his restaurant fame into television fame by starting a show he had actually i think a couple shows but his first i think the first show might have been the british version of kitchen nightmares and he has these other shows which these reality competition shows and all these other things but kitchen nightmares the premise is that gordon ramsay goes into restaurants that are failing and have huge problems and he tries to fix those problems and usually that involves uh, making them reorganize all of their food orders or reorganize their whole restaurant. And let me cut in really quickly. As, as somebody who's not very familiar with the show, um, does he usually exploit their psychological weaknesses for dramatic effect? So you're, you're jumping the gun a little okay. bit there. Well, just, just catch me up then. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Okay. <laughs> it's a reality show, and it has all of the trappings of reality shows, uh, at, including exploiting psychological weaknesses for, for dramatic effect. Uh, the, the in-show reason for that would be he's trying to break people's psychological biases to get them to, uh, to turn around. Right. And fix whatever problems yeah, he's there are in the them restaurant. down so we can build them back up. It's yeah. Like, you know, he's being yeah. the, the drill instructor. Right. The the other way of looking at it is the way that you just said it, which is cynical and oh, so pithy. Uh, <laughs> and probably, you know, <laughs> accurate. Uh, not inaccurate. Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah, there's a lot of drama, a lot of high drama on this on this reality show. And that's there's so that brings us to the most recent uh, development in the Kitchen Nightmares saga, which is there was an episode, the I guess the season finale uh, of this past season, which aired I think like a, a week or two ago, something like that, um, at the time of recording. That episode was for a company called Amy's Baking Company. It's not crap, and they're delicious. Oh. It's not surprising that there is such a high turnover of staff. Katie, I quit. And at this restaurant, the customer is never right. You yourself. Go, you Get ready to witness a colossal uphill battle 
If you touch it, you go. As Chef Ramsay faces off against two defiant owners. Pizza is undercooked. That's not true. This may be the one restaurant. I don't even know why we came back here. I'm going home. Now you're going home? That Chef Ramsay has no choice but to walk away. I am finished. And we just watched the episode mm -hmm. together. And so let's start from our impressions of the episode and then we'll get into... Uh, uh, what happened right afterward. Well, so, you know, I guess my impression of the episode was that Gordon Ramsay goes into this place and, uh, you know, I don't want to fall into the trap of us just totally recapping the episode because people really want to find out. They can go watch it themselves. Yeah. But there's kind of two acts. Um, well, there's, yeah, there's two acts. The, the first act is, uh, no, is there three acts? Three acts. I don't know. If All you right. just forge ahead, we'll I'll figure <laughs> out how many there are. Right we'll, uh, we'll tally. We'll count the bodies <laughs> yeah. after they're uh, after we're done. I'll, I'll do it the count style. One act. Yeah. Ah. Well, so the the, ah. the opening. He goes to the restaurant. Uh, well, no, he doesn't actually. His crew does, and uh, they kind of show them on what's supposed to be a typical night. And I kind of got the sense that the the bright lights of television were a little bit too much for them to take, and uh, things don't go well. One of the uh, co-owners, who might be an Israeli gangster, they kind of allude to that. Um, <laughs> Uh, physically threatens and, and maybe assaults a guy, right? Like, because he was yeah. unhappy with his food and, you know, who knows whether he's just trying to push his buttons to get on TV. But the guy seemed like um, pretty reasonable in his responses. He, uh, you know, didn't seem like he was trying to start a fight. And anyways, so they, they threw him out. Um, and I guess we read on the internet afterwards the producers had to buy everybody's lunch or, or dinner or whatever. Right. And so that's the phase where they kind of just, this is the uh, what the village looks like, you know, kind of before they come in and fix everything. And so... The next act, which is... Which I love that you describe it as this is what the village looks like because it paints this picture of like Gordon Ramsay, the white British right. man, wanders into the backwards village. Yeah. It works well to think about it that yeah. way, actually. It's not inaccurate, yeah. So uh, <laughs> second act, by my count, uh, Gordon Ramsay shows up. Um, so he eats the food. It's bad. He sends it back. Uh, he tries to you know critique it kind of in a pointed manner. Uh, they don't take to it very well. Um, then he and the uh, show sets up the, right. the psychological dynamics yeah. that he complains to the the husband, but he won't tell the wife what's going on, so she doesn't know what the problems are. So there, there are a lot of little miniature sort of uh, dynamics. But the he, then he starts rabble rousing, which I thought was pretty interesting. He actually goes to the entire uh, audience, or not the audience, but the uh, customers, and says, or audience, depending on how you're. <laughs> and, and so was it was the it was the two affronts were one uh, they kind of. Uh, uh, intoned that the pasta they're serving was fresh when in fact it was out of some frozen bag or something right you know, whatever and the second thing was that the uh employees though the wait staff weren't actually tipped and so he goes and announces that in his little haughty british way you know to everybody would you believe me if i i'm not gonna do a british accent it would be bad <laughs> would you believe me if i told you that these employees aren't even tipped and well i wouldn't i wouldn't tip them no oh my mm. you know so and it's he's kind of you know he's making a scene right and yeah. of course you know that uh, upsets the, uh, the, the the female half of the couple who owns this restaurant, and uh, she's also the chef. And so she starts, you know, I, I think she starts kind of fraying a little bit under the pressure. And, uh, you know, she's really um, uh, defensive, and uh, basically he, he storms off, says, I can't help you guys. I think just fast-forwarding and yep. stuff. Yeah. The episode ends with Gordon Ramsay saying, for the first time in Kitchen Nightmares history, I'm doing the right thing and walking away. What a good guy. Yeah, and it's really dramatic, and, you know, to, to say nothing of... All of the things that can be said about Gordon Ramsay's attitude and about his I'm going to save the world and I'm I'm the hero and all that. Uh, putting all of that aside, things got way more interesting right after the episode aired. Because apparently it was recorded back in Christmas last year. And it just aired it's not too long ago. And 
that's when things for our purposes got really interesting. So one thing we didn't mention about uh, the, the setup is uh, offhand, the wife of this of this restaurant owning couple mentions that a few years back, somebody came into their restaurant and wrote a really scathing Yelp review. About the pizza margarita, margarita or whatever. Yeah, margarita. Very, yeah, very specific. They recalled it instantly. They did. This one instance, which... Uh, as we investigated afterward, makes some sense. Uh, what what she did, she says something like, "We struck back, we retaliated," and of course, Gordon Ramsay's shocked, and so are we. But after we finished watching this episode, we did a little research. It turns out she like wrote a review back on Yelp of this guy's review, saying, "You're an idiot, and only an idiot would talk this way. Only tramps and morons talk like this, and we're perfect." And there's this conspiracy against us. So. Uh, that was uh, Amy's Baking Company's first foray into uh, internet interaction with their with their customers was striking back specifically at one reviewer in the in the in the style of Uwe Boll who who challenged all of his critics to fist fights literally boxing matches saying you think you're so tough you come and fight me she went on the internet and said you think you're so tough you're an idiot and literally engaged directly with her critics so. Uh, so after this episode aired, I don't think anybody is really that surprised. I mean, knowing the backstory, it's not a surprise now that she did the same thing again. Right, which the producers, I'm sure, were hoping for. That's yeah, absolutely right. So the, the the specific thing that she did is she, uh, and it gets a little weird here, depending on you know whose story you believe and what happened. I mean, with what. it's not that weird. I mean, I think I think that's that's one thing about right. all of this is that on the one hand, I think that it's clear enough that she was kind of meant to be. Uh, sort of an unwilling internet star, right? Like, I mean, uh, right. along the lines of the kinds of villains that people react to, you know, the, the gall of somebody, if you'd go to a restaurant and say, I don't like the food, like, well, I don't like your face, you know, <laughs> shove it. You know, I mean, that's just something I think that anybody can relate to. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that, I mean, she started meowing at one point, referring to her cat children. <laughs> I, I think we've got to put that in. Just if nothing else, that's the clip that's got to make this uh, this cut. Yeah. Do you have children? Well, we have three little boys, but they're trapped inside wow. cat bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're cats. Our babies are cats. They're my whole life, besides my husband and my business. I speak feline. Meow, 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 meow. And uh, so she, she's just a very zany person. Um, so, of course, the Internet's going to, like, mobilize en masse and start trolling her. And then... Yeah, I mean, so then somebody maybe hacks her Facebook profile. So or that's, yeah, that's where it gets weird is because the Facebook posts go from we're going to reveal the truth and, you know, uh, our food is actually really good and, you know, this show manipulated us. Uh, it goes from that into God is on our side and you internet pussies can go fucking kill yourselves. Like it really, like it escalates that quickly and that strangely into these very weird Facebook and Twitter and Yelp posts by all of these, these their, their accounts on all yeah. these different services. And I guess another thing, and of course there's, there's just one of the kind of bit characters is a waitress who gets fired and, you know, she comes off pretty sympathetically. So then she ended up doing a, a Q&A session on Reddit where she just started taking questions and... Um, yeah. It is very interesting that there seems, when we watch reality television, there seems to be an artifice between the actual reality and what we're seeing, right? So reality is reconfigured so that we can see it uh, in the way that it's shown to us. And the drama is heightened and people are painted to be worse than they are or more heroic than they are uh, or whatever the case may be. Uh, and it's very interesting in this case that after this woman has been painted as a, a, a person who's a little unhinged and has a very weird way of dealing with her criticisms comes back and, and 
in trying to say we were portrayed unfairly shows that she was probably pretty accurately portrayed as somebody that can't deal with criticism. Right. So that's something that can't happen on, say, you know, Lost. The villain on Lost isn't going to pop up on your, your computer screen a day later and be like, yeah, I am the villain and I'm the worst, you know? Uh, this, is the, this is when a, a character from a TV show that even reality television that we're skeptical of how real it is, this is something that ties it into the real world and makes reality television, uh, you know, reality television's become the main staple of television nowadays. It's become the t- kind of show that's getting made more than any other kind of show. And that kind of makes sense uh, because as we move more towards the internet as an, as an anchor for people to engage with each other in a very real way, it makes sense that reality television is going to use that hook to, to get into our brains and get into our quote-unquote real world right. more easily than fictional television well, would. What's unclear to me, though, is that uh, before the margarita pizza review guy, the hater and the bloggers and all of this, the, you know, the, the, the forces of evil in, yeah. this, in this narrative, um, yeah. in her narrative anyways, uh, the, the news anchor person said that it got pretty positive reviews before and then, you know, and then it turned down a bad path after that. And I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, I mean, uh, I'm sure it was always like a pretty bad restaurant, right? But it, was it really remarkable? And, and so is it is it fair to take this mediocre restaurant and this, and then just kind of pull it out of thin air and then put it in front of the entire internet to kind of just savage, you know, until they lose interest, which right. probably would be pretty quick, right? I mean, unless uh, there there's a grand opening scheduled for Tuesday, which might kind of uh, initiate some additional interest, I guess. But, um, you know, so she, she's a mentally unstable person, obviously, and he's a violent seeming, I don't know, it, it, it seems like a dysfunctional couple. Right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're lifting them up for the, the, the collective scrutiny of what kind of feels like bullying to me, right? Um, well, are, are, are they just being scorned like they deserve? Those are a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, Not trying to put you in a box. Just to... The only, the, the way I'll start by responding to that is to say that these are people that called Gordon Ramsay into their restaurant. Right, they did sign up for their show. Knowing that he had cameras and a national audience with, according to them, the intention that he's going to show the world that the Yelpers are lying and they have a good restaurant. Uh, so they, they asked for that. They asked for that part of it. Right. So, you know, I don't, um, the, the, the thing that's strange about it is once you invite this crew into your home and put yourself on a national audience, um, in previous, uh, eras of television, uh, people might watch that and then forget about it. But now that television is so hooked into the internet, people watch that and now you still exist in the real world and everybody has access to you via the internet and you have access to them via the internet. So if this show had been aired in, you know, maybe the seventies, uh, I don't think it would go down as, uh, you know, look at these crazy people. And this is like, like at these, these, um, these outsized characters pushing back against the show. Cause they'd have no way to push back. So uh, I don't know if describing it as bullying is the so right do thing. Do you think to they're do. empowered then? I think that's true. I, if this show had aired in a pre-internet era, there's a chance that it would be just forgotten just as quickly, but it, then the voice of the owner would never have come out uh, in this whole thing. They, they just present it how they're presented on television, and that's the end of the game. Here they get a chance to present themselves accurately. Maybe the reason this story is so interesting is because the accurate pre- presentation is so similar to the one that was on the show, and it's still so entertaining, right? It's like the show is still continuing. It's like when they shut the show down, it was right. just the end of, I don't, I don't remember how many acts we settled on, but the end of the first three acts, uh, and now we're in that fourth act that takes place after the cameras stop rolling, and it's still the same characters, and it's still the same conflicts. It's just on your 
computer instead of on your television. So on the front end, the network didn't have to hire writers. And on the back end, they don't have to hire anything. Just Promoters. Kind of, yeah. Right, it just keeps going. And, that's right. And advertises itself. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what's so cool about the idea that reality television in the internet era becomes more like, instead of reality television, becomes more of a reality experience, right? Uh, interestingly, there's another show called Bar Rescue. And... Uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail about it, but basically this guy who's like a jerk with a, a New York accent wanders into bars and says, you're throwing money away, pouring these kind of shots for people. And, you know, people are walking out of this place and he's just a big jerk. And then he gives the restaurant a big makeover and he says, this is how you're going to make your money. One of the episodes they did, uh, this guy came into a restaurant called, I think it was called Pirates, and it's a pirate-themed hmm. uh, restaurant slash delightful. bar. It was disgusting, right? Because uh, the waitresses all had on those those like scoop-necked pirate tops. Mm. Uh, R, I mean. Yeah, R. <laughs> Their cook, it was possibly an actual pirate named Juiciano. It doesn't really, the specifics don't matter, but I would recommend watching it. Uh, this guy came in, uh, the, the bar rescue guy came in and said, you're not making money this way. We're going to remake your restaurant. He turned it into something he called, I think, the corporate bar, right? And the logo was a guy in a suit with no face. You know, he just whitewashed the whole thing down to just the most uh, faceless, meaningless thing that he could to wow. kill this woman's kind of dream. It's so crazy. It's so <laughs> crazy. Um so here's the coda to the story is that uh, my brother, at, at my sister lives in Baltimore, which is nearby where this took place. Um, and my brother was in town to see my sister and they went to this place and they went to see if it's if it stayed the corporate. Turns out it went back to being a pirate bar. Mm. And as soon as they walked in, you know, the owner was like, I bet you're here because of that bar rescue show. God, you people drive me crazy. You know, and she seemed so haggard. Right. And so uh, they left and my sister sent a Facebook message to... <laughs> Well, you know, to say, uh, you know, I recognize this bad position that you're in. I'm sorry that this happened to you. Just a very nice message. I don't think she's going to hear anything back. But it's just a, uh, I love that story. My sister told that to me earlier this week. And I love that story because the, like I said, the reality television experience is you watch this guy just beat this woman down and say to her, your pirate bar is a piece of garbage. You're not making any money and you're an idiot for keeping it this way. And then... Uh, you know, when my sister goes back to, to see the place and maybe experience the pirate bar, all she gets from this person is basically this this owner's responding to my sister as if she's the bar rescue guy. Right. Like, how dare you? You know, so it's just so strange how these reality television episodes expand into whole reality experiences or arguably that reality television, now that the Internet exists, has to more accurately portray the reality of the world that it's trying to portray because people can check, right. you know, they couldn't no, check. Called out for it. Yeah. So I don't know. I love that story. Good it's deal. A crazy story. Reality television in the era of the internet. It's kind of fascinating. And uh, in a way, all of television has been changed by the internet. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about how uh, Netflix and also internet distribution have changed things for traditional television. After these messages. Hey there, listeners. Hello. If you like what you hear on this podcast, check us out at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Yeah, we talk about the internet here on our podcast, but on enchantmentunderthesea.org, we like to uh, write about stuff like movies, books, music. So come join us over there, enchantmentunderthesea.org. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Arrested Development. 
the favorite show of many people and a uh, sensation in the television world. Uh, and I just found out something interesting from Andrew Tobias that... Uh, yeah, we, we were talking a little bit off air and uh, came out that... Uh, Andrew Tobias is not a huge Arrested Development fan. No. Have you even seen, like, how many episodes do you think you've seen of the show? I mean, the thing is, is that I've seen quite a bit of it to the yeah. point where I'm, I'm familiar with the beats and I know who the characters are and I kind of, I get why it's popular. I just haven't you know, invested the time into watching a TV show, especially not sequentially. Um, it's very self-referential, so it can be a little disorienting when you just kind of, you know, take bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But yeah so the reason that I asked uh, how much of a fan you were is I wanted to get the perspective of somebody that was only a casual fan of, of how you feel about Netflix, uh, their, their promotional campaign. So, uh, uh, I'll start first by doing a little background. Arrest Development was a show that was on Fox and, uh, it was, three seasons and then it got canceled right its third season was cut short and it got canceled and it's kind of funny you called it a sensation earlier because it kind of wasn't right it wasn't it is now that's what's so interesting about it and that happens i think with a couple of tv shows which we'll talk about in a minute but pretty soon after the show got canceled uh it was inducted into some like new classics tv hall of fame and critics were just losing it over how good this show was and then it got canceled around the same time that it was getting all this buzz it got canceled and there's a lot of stuff there about you know the interplay between popularity and critical goodness which is you know a whole can of worms but the most important thing is as all of this buzz of how it's such a great show was spreading people started watching the show on the dvds started you know buying the dvds and watching this show in huge dvds how quaint yeah (laughs) yeah yeah watching the whole show at once on dvd and then eventually watching the whole show at once on netflix which a lot less quaint a little more a little more modern, right? Current, uh, yeah. So, uh, so that's that's sort of where this the show stood for a very long time. Is people would just eat the whole show up in one go on Netflix, uh, and there were always these rumors. You know, is there going to be a movie or something like that? But people always just wanted more of this show, and because the internet, we're now getting more. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons why the internet uh, has led to this show coming back that have to do with marketing, testing audiences, and also distribution platforms and stuff like that. Uh, But one result of it being an internet thing that's coming back is that, at least as far as I can tell, it's everywhere on the internet. Netflix knows how to advertise its internet content, and it is, they have done all of these things on the internet to advertise the show. Andrew Tobias. Somehow they completely missed me, right? (laughs) where, Where have I been? And that is fascinating to me. Why do I feel like I'm bombarded by this stuff? And you have not seen any. It's so I mean, interesting to me. I, I'm not as into the internet as you are, right? I guess that maybe they somebody told them that I'm not such a huge fan. <laughs> the word is spread. I bet somebody told them. Andrew Tobias is only a casual fan. Yeah, well, and, I, and, and, and maybe it's not so great that it, I, I, probably one in every twenty times when I tell somebody my last name, they're like, "Oh, like Tobias Funke, ha ha ha, and I'm like, "Yeah, not a big fan of the show, but I know what you're talking about." That's all I can really say, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, one of the things the show has done is uh, Netflix has allowed the show to do, which on the third season DVD of Arrest Development, there's a segment where David Cross is dressed up in one of his ridiculous costumes, and it's sort of a candid moment where the cameras are rolling, but they're not filming for the show yet, and he's just railing and saying, how do you not make this show a hit? Critics are raving about it. It's winning awards. This show is is 
everybody loves it. How is it not the number one show in America? And he, he finishes his rant by saying, the problem doesn't lie with us here in acting and writing. It lies with marketing. And so the, the key is to get people to want to watch a show that is also being called brilliant. And, uh, you know, so so that's, to me, the, the real success story of Arrested Development is that now that the, the internet campaign to get more of it made has worked, Netflix has marketed the hell out of it. You know, there's, there's going to be a whole new audience that wasn't watching it originally that is watching it now, which is partially because of the, the time that people have had to watch it on DVD, but also partially because Netflix knows how to market this thing. They really do. And they've set up uh, a banana stand in Times Square where people can go get free frozen bananas in the run-up to the show, you know, and they're moving it around and taking the banana stand all over the place. It's so smart. Fox was doing none of these things. Um, And part of that might be that Fox didn't think there was any money in doing this kind of thing. But, you know... I I mean, where's the money that Netflix is making from it? I mean, that hasn't been determined, right? Not yet, but I I imagine in the weeks afterward, we're going to get all these crazy statistics like this many millions of people watched the Arrested Development new episodes on the first weekend. This many, you know, million people signed up for new Netflix accounts over the past month or whatever it is you know those numbers are going to reveal themselves and I have no doubt they're going to be good Uh, and I think part of they might be trying to shame people into actually buying their own accounts and not just sharing with their friends you know but um, I'm still not 100% clear on what the the upshot is for Netflix as an organization because you know they're not selling advertising you know there's no commercials yeah Um, you know, the people who are watching Netflix probably are already subscribers, but I'm guessing that they're hoping for some kind of, um, they're trying to build their brand as being this kind of relevant, this culturally relevant force. And then at some point in the future, you know, step two, question marks, step three, you know, bags of money. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> Profit, I, yeah. I, I think it's interesting to point out that it's not entirely clear how they're going to take advantage of this yet. What do you think? What do you think is a way that they can leverage this into, I have my theories. Uh, go, why don't you start? Another thing that Netflix has done recently is they did this thing called House of Cards, right? Perhaps you've heard of it. No, I, I haven't watched it, uh, but I've heard of it, and yeah, I, it, I'm sure most you know, people have at least I've heard of it. I've seen it, and it's it, a lot of people really like it. Uh, my, yeah. my criticism is, as I found, pretty withering of it, but it's a decent show. It's something that people like, and it's... it's um. You know, it's it's stylish and yeah. it's uh, you know it's, it's it's right in the sweet spot of like the demographics of people who watch TV shows on the internet. I imagine so. The the key to House of Cards, which I've been saying to so many people, I've lost count, is House of Cards is a show that has been designed for you to like it. House of Cards is that built, means you, listener. It that's that means you, Dave. Let's Do hope, we know somebody named Dave? I don't. I hope someone named Dave is listening. Okay. Though, Unlikely, but possible. It would be great. Okay. Uh, uh, Dave, this show has been designed for you and also all of your friends because Netflix has been monitoring what you watch on Netflix and how you watch it. And Netflix has determined when you watch shows, you watch all of them at once. You watch uh, whole seasons. And Netflix has determined that you like this kind of actor, this kind of show, this kind of whatever, and has combined all those little bits of data into ordering a show that's designed for you you to like it right so it's kind of funny that um so what does it mean about arrested development because it's a show that's actually a, a it's a known property that they're kind of picking up it's a little it's, it's a little weird right? it uh, is only a little weird but the reason it's not weird at all is because uh ordering more episodes of arrested development is kind of the definition of a thing that is designed for people to like it that's got a huge built-in yeah, audience our research shows people like shows like arrested development. yeah what can we possibly <laughs> do about that i got an idea 
Let's make more arrested development. Yeah, right. It seems so simple. So right? there, there's a, there's a huge risk, right? Um, well, there, there are two risks, and the first one is not so huge. So I'll start off with it. Um, I think that it, it's very likely that as you know, for as long as uh, network television continues to be a thing that's that people talk about or even think about, um, uh-huh. there's going to be a risk that every time a show gets canceled, there's going to be this annoying period of like a curtain call where everybody just stands up and claps, and then you know you're not sure if they're going to come out and you just kind of everybody looks at each other and it's been like you know in the purpose of the metaphor like five minutes and you keep clapping like idiots hoping right. to keep, you know and so but the house lights haven't been turned on right yet, right because that's 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 key is the show's creators are there'll also be, trying to cues, create this illusion right. you know but yeah go on but yeah so that, that, that could just be especially in uh you know the time it actually takes to put something like that together whereas it takes the band approximately you know 30 seconds to turn around and walk back on the stage It'll, it takes a couple of years to get people back on board sure you know or whatever who knows but whatever it is so but what do you mean that's a problem? How's um, that? Well, I mean, it annoys me. So maybe it's just a problem for me, right? <laughs> like, it, it feels a little disingenuous where uh, uh, suddenly canceling a show becomes this thing where they're hoping to kind of trigger this organic fan experience. And it just becomes something that, you know, oh, they're canceling the show again. Okay, so our role is now to write, you know, to get, to get and start writing petitions and stuff like that or whatever, you know, or just complaining on the internet, right? But. It seems like you think the thing that's going to go away is permanent cancellation. And what I think is going to go away is the model for broadcasting this stuff in the first place. It's not going to make sense to a company to to throw money at th- three seasons of something, then cancel it and wait and see if it'll come back. No, they're going to not throw money at anything until it gets the kind of support it needs to know they already have an audience built in. So this is a rewrite of how television shows get ordered and how pilots get made. Uh one thing that I thought was really interesting this past week is uh, I saw on the news on on my feed reader, I think it's ABC or it could be another network, Fox, who knows, uh, picked up Joss Whedon's Shield pilot, the TV show about Shield. But the news that it was picked up was kind of shocking to me because it seemed so obvious that if you're going to give Joss Whedon all this money and you're going to cast all these people, obviously that show is going to get made. Uh, but it still had to go through this process of making a pilot, getting seen by people, getting okayed. That all's going to go away. And we're going to get to a point where they know that something that's based off the Avengers is going to make enough money that they can just make it. And it'll get canceled when it stops making money. And it'll come back when it starts making money again. So the the link between fans uh, basically looking at the show and giving money to the show by looking at these advertisements and the show continuing is going to be so... Uh, the monetization and the creation of the show are going to be so ca- closely linked, you're not even going to get to the point where shows get okayed and then we wait and see if they're going to come back. Right. No, a show's just not going to exist unless we can already prove it's going to make the money, which is very interesting, and I don't know how the mechanics of that are going to work, but that when you say this problem of waiting to see if a show's going to come back, that'll happen for a while, but eventually the show's never even going to get made if the fan outcry isn't right. there. Well, I think the thing that I was reacting to more is when these companies... um you know, they're like, oh, the social media thing, that's big, you know, and then it, and it feels like, uh, you know, they start creating stupid hashtags and yeah. stuff like that. It's just, it's embarrassing and it's kind of insulting, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the other thing that you're talking about, that all sounds great. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so, uh, so the other, the, the other... second risk, right? So much like what I talked about last week, there's always this risk that you run where, whereas something that is, that is canceled, like Arrested Development was in the prime of its, of its funniness, like it never, you know, the quality never kind of degraded at all. You run the risk of it not being as good as you remember it, right? And it's something that kind of just... They might not hit those high notes like they used to. And that's, you know, I mean, on the other hand, it could be great and fine. But, you know, I, I do think that there really is a value to something that, uh, you know, got, got, got ended before its time. This is my pushback on that. There are people that say that the third season of Rest Development was starting to get lazy and not as good. 
uh, and uh, obviously I'm terrified because there's a good chance it's going to be not as good. There's a very good chance. So is that a problem? Be, is that a problem? Yeah. No, I still have the first few seasons. I was a diehard community fan. Uh, so I know what it's like to have the show that you love transform into something that doesn't seem like the show that you right. love anymore. It's fine. We have to deal with that. This is a weird world we live in now where a show can continue and become this weird new thing. You know, that show Up All Night, uh, they changed it from uh, uh, a single camera, no laugh track show into a multi-camera laugh track show with the same cast and same premise, but an entirely different feel from one season to the next. It's just a totally different show. And it's got the same name, the same marketing team, the same stars, and the same fans. This is the world we live in now. It's a, it's crazy out there. TV shows can become something entirely different, you know, over the course of one night. And we don't get to, we don't get to push back against that. And the only way we're going to disincentivize that kind of behavior from studios is to stop watching when a show stops being interesting. You think this might give incentive, though, for maybe... um. You know, I guess the, the people who all helped put Arrested Development together that yeah. whereas instead of trying to, you know, innovate, they might kind of hang on to this, you know, keep the flame alive for Arrested Development as it were in this it's case. It's way worse than that. The people that put Arrested Development together have tried to innovate. And there was a show called Running Wild starring Will Arnett from the producers of that show. And it's it's horrible. Uh, well, it's, it has some upshots, but it's mostly horrible. There was an animated show starring Will Arnett that's mostly horrible. Uh, there's the Todd Margaret show that didn't do that well. Uh, but really, on the whole, these guys, these, the whole Arrested Development crew have tried all these things and failed. It's just they've never been able to recapture any of that magic. So that's not a hypothetical. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> the, the, the disincentive comes from Futurama, which got canceled and then brought back and then canceled and then brought back. And then it just got canceled again. And as I told you over our, our breakfast this morning, uh, uh, when it got canceled this time, nobody was like, oh, no, it's such a tragedy. The showrunners of this show were like, well... We'll see what happens. Right. Well, <laughs> they're animated, right? So they can just kind of pull them all out. So it's not quite as as logistically complicated to, to bring that back together. It's but. hard to say, right? Because there's a lot of voice talent that has to be brought back that's doing other shows. Okay. Uh, but And animators that are running other shows and things like that. But but you're, it probably isn't as logistically complicated. But it's just so interesting that a show that can get canceled and the immediate reaction of the people that are responsible for it is, all right, whatever. That's just a thing that happens. Sometimes you get canceled and then you come back. That's the way television works now. Right. You know, and uh, Conan O'Brien, you know, it's, uh, there's all these instances of people that have been able to take being canceled and turn it into a new thing that they're doing. Because you can always, your audience size changes and the platform upon which you're doing things changes. But people, if they want to see what you're doing, now we live in a world where they can tell people, I want to see this using Kickstarter or using petitions or even just using their own Netflix uh, watching history can say, this is a thing I'm interested in bring it back to me and networks will listen because it's so easy to you know you can you uh it's so easy to to put some money towards something and a small company to just get an exclusive deal somewhere netflix is smaller than the studios but it can get this kind of deal because none of the studios like nbc abc whatever are looking for it netflix is the only one looking for it and so they can say here's our price point and then you know the arrest development people can say here's our price point and they can make it happen in a way that uh, the traditional networks couldn't make happen for the you know the first hundred years of television. Coming up, we have an update on a story that we talked about last week. 
guy named Kai the Hatch-wielding Hitchhiker. Yeah, things have uh, taken a dark turn for Kai, which you know kind of helps illustrate our point and also allows us to react to some of the things that we heard from, from people who responded to last week's episode. So, stay tuned. Would you like to hear your project talked about on our podcast? Well, we're looking for quote-unquote advertisers. Yeah, we'll stick it right here in this spot, whereas uh, instead of us talking now, we'll uh, feature your thing. Send us an email at staff at enchantmentundersea.org. Let us know, and your, your product or your project might get featured here. Unless it's Cialis or... Or a Nigerian banker who has money stashed away. In that case, uh, you can call me personally at <laughs> not getting to my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, dot com. <laughs> it's not even a phone number. All right, so we're back, and we're going to mention a little bit of listener feedback we got since last week's episode. Again, thank you, everybody, for sending in any comments or thoughts that you had. As usual, if you want to give us any comments or thoughts, there are many ways to do that. First, get it to either of us personally. Uh, via Facebook, email, whatever, Twitter. Uh, but also, you could send your comments via email to staff at enchantmentundersea.org. And finally, maybe the easiest way is just leave a comment on the post at the Enchantment Under the Sea blog where you maybe found this podcast in the first place. And we will respond to those comments, hopefully, in next week's episode. So for our feedback this week, we're going to start with Catherine from Dayton, Ohio, who took some issue with uh, the way that we described uh, Charles Ramsey in last week's episode. Charles uh, Ramsey, for those of you who may not remember, is the neighbor of the uh, Cleveland kidnapper who kept three women in his house for 10 years. He was eating his McDonald's, uh, had a colorful and profane way of describing it, and the rest was history. So. That's right. And he became internet famous for his colorful and profane way of describing his heroic deeds. So uh, the first thing that Catherine mentioned uh, was that she thinks that white folks, uh, and, and I guess you could probably generalize to anybody in a position of privilege or power, tend to get offended on behalf of others when, when, for instance, when we were saying we think this whole thing might come from sort of a racist or, or not, a not entirely pure uh, motivation. When we see Charles Ramsey singing and dancing. Who's a, a black man. By right, me. exactly. Uh, we see him singing and dancing, and then we say, oh, well, there's maybe a problem with us uh, treating him in a way that's, you know, uh, uh, pandering to him in some way. So, uh, Catherine's point is sometimes the people in this position of, of paternalism, of power, uh, can, can say, uh, 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 he, we are, we're doing something wrong and we should be offended on his behalf. Um, yeah. And then the other point that Catherine had to make was that, uh, the, the idea that if, if Charles Ramsey had committed bad stuff in the past, which it seems like he did, um, you know, he, he did some time, uh, he, uh, she felt that we said that that may have made him a bad person. And I think that we wanted to make, make clear that there's really no bad people. I mean, I mean, there are maybe a few, right? But by and large, they're just complicated people. And, and there are people who do bad stuff. And there are people who do good stuff. And we society may label somebody who does bad stuff as being a bad person. But, you know, there's obviously always uh, a duality to that where maybe one day's domestic violence abuser or whatever committer uh, could be the next day's hero. Right. So. And and maybe more important is if we wanted to reduce Charles Ramsey to anything, it wouldn't be bad guy. It would be guy who put down his food and did something heroic and tried to stand up to something. Right. And that might be a more defining act than these more troubled things in his past. So we kind of brought up as a foil, I think, for, for some of the points that we made last week and some of the points that we made now, or at least that we expanded on now, is that Kai the Hitchhiker was a guy who uh, kind of went viral for uh, also heroically intervening and, and saving a woman and but uh, so, you know, so he, he was an Internet hero. So today's Internet hero is tomorrow's murderer suspect, right? <laughs> Apparently. Right. Apparently that's how it works now. <laughs> yeah. So what? So the story that, that came out this week, uh, very strange. Uh, 
in was it New Jersey, I believe. Oh. Uh, the police discovered the body of a uh, an elderly lawyer had been beaten to death and was in just his socks and underwear in his palatial estate. Hmm. And the name of the suspect turned out to be Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. Well, he had another, another name. He has a real name. A.K.A. Yeah, exactly. Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. Yeah, so uh, as time goes on, more that's revealed about this story, uh, our hitchhiking friend had posted on his Facebook something very strange. He posted something along the lines of, what would you do if you woke up and realized you'd been raped and drugged? You know, what would you do in that situation or something like that? Right. Turns out he posted that maybe right after uh, he allegedly uh, had a a day long sexual tryst with this elderly lawyer. And that, yeah, that's, that's fill in the blanks. That's the way, well, that's the way the story is being told by, by the cops and by the media is that uh, Kai had apparently been picked up by this lawyer uh, and then they had a, a long day of sexual activity. Kai left, then he came back, and that's when things went real sour, and the guy got beaten yeah. to death, so, allegedly by Kai the Hatchet. So do, do we like Kai better as you know, kind of a, a, a delightful interloper, or you know, it, I, you know, I, I know that I personally, I'd rather him not be this murderer, right? Like, I'd rather him just kind of be this guy that kind of. Um, I'd rather keep him in the context where we originally found him, but I guess there's always there's always potentially. But don't forget the context we originally found him was beating somebody to death. Did he kill the guy? He tried to. Well, right. I, I think I think he pulled through. Not the point. Okay. Right? Don't you think? It wasn't active reason, violence. The right? reason he's famous is for for fighting somebody by hitting them with his hatchet. Uh, you know, and now he may have done the same to another person, and this time with no reason, or maybe a reason we don't know. But the other time we had some sort of narrative reason for why it happened, so we're somehow okay with it. Like that brings us back to some of the stuff I said last week about how we fetishize violence and real men doing something and taking a stand. Uh. It comes from the same place as beating a man senseless after a weird sexual tryst. It's all just this this uh, violent tendency, this violent behavior, and I don't I don't know how I feel about the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it all makes me so uncomfortable because I don't want to call somebody a hero for being violent. And that brings us to our final segment, our internet thing of the week. Andrew Tobias, what yeah, you got? My thing is uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, also known as apparently, the commander of the International Space Station, who saw fit to record himself uh, combining two of my favorite things, which is science uh, in that kind of conceptual, spacey, fun kind of way, and David Bowie. Ground control. (laughs) Thank you. Ground control to Major Tom. Lock your Soyuz hatch and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. So anyway, so uh, uh, he did record himself recording the classic David Bowie song, Space Oddity, and uh, proved that you actually can get stuff on the internet from space. Who knew? It's amazing. Very cool. Mine this week is a little game called Social Roulette. Uh, and to play social roulette, all you do is authenticate your Facebook profile through the web page, and there's a one in six chance that this web page will entirely delete your, your whole Facebook profile. <laughs> <Really>? So, 
Really? It's Russian roulette for your huh. Facebook profile. That's okay. So you can get your kicks and not like splatter your brains everywhere. Exactly. But that's almost as bad, I guess. It's so people. smart because it, it makes you think about how valuable your life is versus how valuable your Facebook profile yeah, okay. is. It's real good. And I haven't played, obviously, because I like my Facebook. Can profile. I start with a like, Google Plus? Oh man, I wish. <laughs> if you could, if you could assassinate your Google Plus profile, I think the line would be pretty long for people that just don't care. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, that takes us to the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Um, if you have feedback for us, either leave it on this post on our Enchantment Under the Sea blog, or email us at staff at enchantmentunderthesea dot org, or get it to us any way you can, and we'll try and respond to any listener feedback we get for next time. And Dave's, take care of yourself, Dave's. <laughs> These are the days I know, I know. These are the days I know. These are the days I know, I know. These are the days I know. David Hoffner. Hold on to your butts is a production of EnchantmentUnderTheSea.org. Your hosts were Stephen Goldmeyer and Andrew Tobias. Editing by Stephen Goldmeyer. <laughs> <laughs>